0: So Michelle, I saw that you recently published a blog post, um, a little bit about the founding of your company and I haven't read it cause I want to hear the story fresh from you. And I, this is something I've actually wanted to talk to you about, um, frequently and you've always kind of just been like, Oh yeah, you know, we just started it and then it just, you know, happened. So I'm super excited to dive into this with you. Um, especially where I'm coming from, like where it seems so far away to have a successful SaaS. So tell us a little bit about how you guys got started.
1: Yeah, this is something I get questions about all the time, and I wanted to dive into the story and the numbers a little more, because I think that's helpful for people when they're getting started, like yourself, to see that you don't have to have success the first day or the first month or the first three months or first six months, really. Um, in order to make something work. And then also that if something, you know, does okay but not great, you can always chase that and and snowball it into something else.
0: So how did you guys get started? What was your very first product?
1: Well, my very first product or our very first product?
0: I don't know. What gave you the bug? Like, let's go back. Just let's talk about, about you. What was your first oh. product? What gave you the bug?
1: So – So this actually – this isn't in the post, but my first business, if you can call it that, was basically a blog that I started with friends my freshman year of college. We called it an online magazine, Um, and the whole idea of it was college kids from around the country with different uh, perspectives on politics all writing about politics together and collaborating together. And that was really one of the first things, um, that, that introduced me to running something online in a, in a a sort of organized way. Cause I don't, I'd had little projects before, like, you know, we also started a satire blog at one point, but like, we didn't put our names on it and it was very much for fun. Um, but like that project talking about how to use Blogger. And then this other one that we launched that was a bit more serious and like something we ended up putting on our resumes um, was on WordPress. And just how it happened was I ended up being the person doing all of the WordPress admin. Um, so managing the site and, you know, uh, customizing templates and, and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, my, my introduction to coding was MySpace. So um,
0: <laughs>
1: HTML, you know, for a, a certain generation of us was a key skill as a teenager um, and that carried over. But I think those projects my freshman year of college really gave me the bug of like you create something and then you get a like a reaction from people and you people tell you they enjoyed it and, and, and then, you know, it just kind of keeps you going like that. Um, and then actually a year later, growing so 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 that blog actually never made any money. We had ads on it, but then, I don't know, some, something happened and, and it didn't work out and we didn't make money. Um, but then we actually ended up turning it into a consulting firm, like a social media consulting firm. So that was when I was 20.
0: I mean, that was um, 2010-ish. So that was like before that was a big yeah. thing, right? Social media consulting wasn't the, you know. Yeah, it really wasn't it a now. thing.
1: And yeah. so what our 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 angle was was um reaching out to PR firms that were, you know, very experienced in PR but didn't know how to use Facebook and Twitter. Um and that was really where I earned some more business chops in terms of like actually like operating a business and writing proposals and pitching and doing sales and and things like that. Um, You know, I'd had a little bit of experience with that. Like, you know, when I was a kid, my mom had an art business and I would spend Saturdays as a teenager helping her sell her art at um, art and craft shows. Um, But really in in a kind of, you know, a context that is the closest to now, um, it really wasn't until college. And then we actually made money doing that, um, but then shut down the business, about six months later, because basically the purpose of the business was to allow us to skip, skip several layers of um, terrible internships and get to the ones we wanted <laughs> faster. <laughs> so there was an exit strategy from the beginning. Um, and and so actually by the time that we made, Matias and I made the products that ended up being the one that funded Geocodio, that was actually my third business. Okay, and I think all of those little experiences, you know, really added to just having more comfort with what it takes to launch a product, even if those other efforts were not quite as organized um, or structured as, um, you know, as the as the projects that Matthias and I have launched together.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, even you were talking about, you know, back. in your college days, like reaching out to ad agencies and things like that. Like for a lot of us who are just starting businesses, this is the first time we've had to do any kind of software sales or sales. Really? I was thinking about that today. um, because this is just something that like, I don't do a lot. Like I'm comfortable with people and I like to talk to people, but like I'm basically cold emailing everyone who has signed up for my service. To be like, hey, can I help you? And that's like a little thing, but just it's still outside my comfort zone. So you starting those lessons 10, 15 years ago,
1: you know, they just compound, I'm sure, to bring you guys to where you are today. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's totally useful. And You know, on, on Matthias' side too, his early projects, one of which was the, the precursor to, to when the first one we launched together, you know, he was funding those because he was a magician as a child. and. <sighs> oh. So he had his – like he was running his own business like as of the age of seven or so, eight, um, was when he started performing magic. And so he always had that money to fund, you know, other projects that he wanted to do or, you know, buying the latest and greatest tools and whatnot. Um yeah it's it's not just the most recent business. it's It's a history of having that, as you said, that that bug of, hey, like this is this is fun, and I can do it. And also, like making a ton of mistakes in the process, like accidentally not monetizing our blog. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was or like I think we did. But then, you know, some of our friends, like we like we had ads on it, and some of our friends knew that if they clicked on them, we would get money. and so they clicked on them. And I think we got shut down for having like suspicious clicks on them or there was like something else going on. Like, you know, I mean, we were like 19 and idiots. Um, and you know, but it, you know, it introduced me to things like that. And, and it got me, you know, more comfortable using a modern, um, web, um, tools like WordPress.
0: Yeah. So then you guys, uh, you and your husband decided you wanted to start something And you just used the phrase, the thing that launched GeoCodio. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? What was that?
1: Yeah. And and you make it sound like we just had this idea one day and we're like, oh, like we're going to launch thing, something. And the reality is, is that we um, were pregnant and we knew that daycare was going to be expensive. But once we figured out just how expensive it was, which for an infant in the DC area is about $20,000 a year for a very standard no frills in-home daycare that might not even be licensed like really mm-hmm. expensive. Yeah. And so we were scared uh out of our minds by that expense and we were like, "You know what? We can kill it at work, but like realistically in the next, you know, six months, are we going to get raises and and bonuses equal to $20,000 a year? Like if we want to be able to keep our standard of living, we need to be launching stuff. Yeah. So it's with that motivation as the backdrop that we finally stopped spending our weekends watching TV shows and started working on stuff. So this came out of an app that Matthias had launched in Denmark before he moved to the U.S., and the app was called What's Open Nearby. And the idea of it was that if you needed milk at midnight or a coffee at 3 a.m., you could pull up the app and it would have a map of all of the stores that were open near you so that you could just go to the one that was open rather than having to like remember which stores were near you and type it into Google and then go to their website and go to their store locator and find the one that was near you and then like look at their hours. Now, right now, you can go to Google and type in Safeway hours and it all pops up there. Um, but the Google Places API was really not as robust um, in 2013 as it is now, and it wasn't as integrated into the Google search experience. So, you know, this would eliminate, you know, 10 clicks when you're tired in the middle of night and, and out of toilet sure. paper. So <laughs> so he had launched this in Denmark before he came to the US, and he, it was really successful. Um, So it was based on a need that he had himself, and um, it was regularly in the top charts in Denmark, and it got to about 500,000 downloads, which is something like 10% of the Danish population. And how he monetized it was people would pay to have their store listed in the app. Got it. But that really only worked because it was consistently top ten in the Danish app store and had all of these downloads, and so companies wanted to be in it. Um by contrast, we knew that launching in the u s would be much more difficult and you know, a much larger country, not nearly as um, close-knit um, as Denmark is. So um, so we decided to go with an ad supported route. So okay. we started working on the app in january of 2013 and we ended up launching it in october of 2013 so that's a
0: that's a good chunk of time that you guys were working on it was that predominantly development time or was it predominantly like customer research time like what was happening during those months from conception to launch
1: so there's was a couple of different things. Uh, so one of them was we had to localize the app to the U.S. Um, we did a redesign of the app. I'm not quite sure. I don't quite remember why we did that. But I know that there were some issues with the Danish app. And I like, remember we had to design a new um, bug reporting flow. Like if people had issues with the hours. So like people could like take a – like if the hours we had in our app were different, like they could take a picture of it. Um, if they were standing at the store, for example. Um, so we were also we also just had to pull all of the data together. So a big part of the app was automated parsers that were scraping the store hours websites.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we were building all of those parsers, but then we also wanted to make sure that we had a lot of smaller stores in there as well because that works really well for big chains. But a smaller store, um, it didn't really make sense for us to build a parser for that because we'd only get one or two locations rather than 50 or 100 or 500 from a big chain. So we spent a lot of time just building the data that goes into the app. And that that was most of what consumed us. It wasn't until August of 2013 actually... uh, Seven days after our daughter was born that we incorporated formally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and and started doing the administrative side of things. And so I was actually, so, you know, so we talk about bootstrapping, right? And bootstrapping is is, is fundamentally a form of financing if you're sort of taking the null option, right? Which is you don't take financing, but, you know, you self-fund it. And so towards that end, I kind of dug through our financials from that first year to look at how much we spent and how much we made, because the self-funding period is really difficult for a lot of people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So first, one thing I want to mention first is that in the spring of 2013, we did a couple of hackathons and like, you know big sort of sponsored ones. They don't seem to be as popular anymore. Maybe I'm just not paying attention to it, but I remember it being kind of a big thing. And um, we got an $1,000 AWS credit as a reward from one of the hackathons. I think that might have been from a like Facebook Gates Foundation hackathon that Matias did with one of his friends in California. Anyway, so it was like one of the prizes for that. So, so we had that, so we had $1,000 credit from Amazon. Now they give these out as a way to you know, promote people to switch to AWS, right? And $1,000 is not really a lot of money for an established business, but for a nascent business that's just coming into existence, $1,000 is huge. Um, and that paid our server costs for the first couple of months. And I think that was really important for us because it took away a lot of the pain of self-funding the product. Um, and so we basically, you know, you could say that we took, you know, non-dilutive, non-debt funding from Amazon um, <laughs> to get started. <laughs> um, but we had other expenses as well. And so this is something that I was sort of, I was looking at, okay, it's like how much did we really spend? So um, I mentioned, you know, we had to incorporate the business um, we had we were paying for servers for the Danish app. so even though we didn't have a regular income stream from it we were still supporting it um, We needed SSL certificates, uh, icons sort of all sorts of things. So September of 2013 is the first month like uh, sorry August of 2013 is the first month that we really started having expenses. Mm-hmm. So we had 416 dollars in expenses okay? And twenty cents in ad revenue. But that was your
0: very first month, right?
1: Yes. That was our very first month. And and you know, as I look at this right now, you know, the server costs, I I, I don't know how your husband feels about this, but I feel like when you marry a developer, servers are going to be part of your family budget no matter what.
0: <laughs> we have servers in our garage. It's fine. <laughs> it's not weird at all.
1: <laughs> You know, I mean, so, you know, I, I remember going into this being like, okay, we're always like servers are just going to be a family budget line item. Um, but, you know, so yeah, that was like $400 is a not insignificant amount of money, um, especially to us at the time. Well, you had a baby, right? Right. Yeah. So. So wait, before you keep going with your
0: numbers. So that first month, here you are, mm-hmm. you guys are still both working full time. Mm hmm you have a brand new baby and you're just out 400 bucks. Do you remember how that made you feel?
1: No. I don't remember much (laughs) from that first month.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm just wondering if there was like panic, if there was, you know, kind of a a known sense of patience, if there was a, this is a terrible idea. Um,
1: No, I think if anything, I remember being super motivated. Um, I think that's the biggest thing I got from becoming a parent was motivation and that you know, the idea that, you know, when you have a kid, like you have maybe an hour to yourself a day, if that, like yeah. you no longer have, you know, the, the evening doesn't stretch in front of you after work. Right. And and, and you can't just do whatever you want on the weekends. Um, you have no control over your time anymore. And I for both of us, that was really helpful because it was like, OK, if I only have an hour to do what I want to do today, then I'm going to make it worth it. Yes. Um. And and as a procrastinator, you know, it, it was really helpful to have things be time boxed like that. And you, I remember, you know, sitting in the nursery, which was like part nursery, part office, and she was sleeping, and we were both working, and and it felt like really great. Um, like it felt, um, it felt good. It felt like what I wanted to be doing. Um, and, and we knew it was going to be expensive, but I think because we had had that success from the earlier version of the app, um, we had a lot of confidence going into it that it would be successful if we did the work. Okay. All right. So then what happens next? Okay. So October of 2013, we finally fully launched. So I think in September of 2013, we were only, you know, friends and family launched. Um, and yeah, or I'm, I'm not quite sure, actually, because I don't – our Apple developer subscription wasn't until October of 2013, and I remember that being very painful. That was $100 right off the bat, and that was – that hurt a little bit. Um, so October of 2013, the month we launched, we made $6.66.
0: <laughs> That's not concerning. <laughs>
1: no, right? So, but – we We were hustling pretty hard. Yeah. Like you know, I was spending all of my free time, that free time I didn't have, uh, emailing and tweeting at reporters uh, in the DC area, trying to get them to pick up on uh, the app. And in November of 2013, we actually ended up getting picked up by um, DCist and by The Washington Post Express. Um, So Express is like the free newspaper that they hand out at the Metro and in 2013 and quite frankly, probably still today, um, service is terrible in the Metro tunnels. (laughs) So um, a lot of people actually read the free newspaper and they had this like beginning section of the paper where it was like quote snippets from people and we had posted the app on Reddit and then people had commented on it on Reddit. And so they had posted one of those Reddit comments in the uh in the newspaper and that was huge for us. Um and that month, so November we had $155 in revenue. And then December we had five hundred and fifteen dollars in revenue. Wow, so we that's went amazing. from twenty cents to five hundred and fifteen dollars. Yay
0: that's great. Is that must have so felt so amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We were so excited and I mean, I remember we spent Thanksgiving week basically the whole time, like, updating all of the parsers and making sure we had Thanksgiving hours in, and I emailed, like, 100 local business owners trying to get their Thanksgiving and Christmas hours, and we spent so much time on this, um, but really felt like it was paying off. Yeah, that must have felt amazing. Yeah, it was it was really exciting, and I think the the exciting thing about doing a consumer app too is that your friends are using it, and so yeah. I was getting messages from people I know being like, "Hey, this is so cool! Like, thank you for making this. This is awesome!" And you're like, "Yeah, this is awesome! Like, I'm making something that helps my friends. This feels good." Um, versus in B two B, you doesn't really happen quite as much. Um, yeah, it it felt so good, um, but we started to have some problems. Okay, so I mentioned how the app you open it up and it had a map to show mm-hmm. you all of the stores that were near you. So, we could get 2500 locations for free from from Google. Um, but then if we added more stores beyond 25, so we could only cache them. This was sort of the problem. We couldn't store the coordinates in a database. We could only cache them. Okay. So if we had so if we needed more than 2500 coordinates, we didn't have any options. Because it was either $2,500 for free or you could have an enterprise plan that was like $20,000 a year for up to $100,000 a day. And we were like, well, we have 5,000 stores in the app. Like, we don't need $100,000 a day. And we're certainly, you know, we're feeling pretty good about our $500 in ad revenue here, but that's not, doesn't remotely justify um, paying for an enterprise contract. Like, that's insane. So, what we did was we built a very very rudimentary geocoder out of this um just to to support the app and as we talked about this with other friends of ours who are developers they said to us well have you guys considered you know slapping a paywall in front of this and you know letting other people use it and you know maybe you can get enough people to use it that the servers will for it will be effectively free for you and we're like oh like that would be really interesting like if you know we can just get enough people to pay for it that we basically don't have to pay for it ourselves like like that would be cool and then we can keep our apps going because these apps are are, are making money and and they're working um and so we did a month or two of um testing with other people. There, there's actually a really awesome picture of Matthias with our daughter at three months old at uh, 1776, which is a co-working space in DC um, with with uh, tons of startups there, like meeting with our friends there and having them <laughs> test it out. Um, I feel like it's very emblematic of our family and our marriage. Um, and so then we launched GeoCodio in January of 2014 with our definition of a wild success uh being that more people paid for it than it cost us to provide it. Okay. I remember making a spreadsheet of this. I, I can't find that spreadsheet, but that was a wild success. Was sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what happened? Well, so then we so we launched your codium right? Okay. And
0: right. Okay. So Pause. Wait, at that point though, were you, you guys had both products or did you sunset the, I mean, that one product was making you 500 bucks, which felt like a million probably. Were you maintaining both products at the time?
1: Yes. So we were absolutely maintaining both and our focus was very much on the app. And in January of 2014, we made $514 from the app. So it was still like, that was the same as the previous month, but we still felt pretty good about that. Um... And we're we're both pretty focused on both. though so the success of the Geocodio launch really took us by surprise. Like we ended up being on the front page of Hacker News all day, which was a huge surprise to us. Um it was it was pretty surreal. Um and so we we ended up having $31 in total revenue for that month, or about $27 after fees. Okay. And Geocodeo was running on two tiny little DigitalOcean droplets, um, one web server, one database server, mm-hmm. um, and so we, from a gross margin perspective, we netted seven dollars, which was absolutely amazing. Like we were so surprised. <laughs> we like we hadn't even written the the code that would trigger the billing code to charge people because we had not expected that people would want to pay us.
0: That's amazing. Um,
1: <laughs> Uh, but so, so but then the next month, like the the ad revenue continued to drop off. And we kind of learned the hard way that with consumer businesses, like marketing has to be constant. Like you have to constantly be in front of people, otherwise the attention is going to drop off. It's not like a business where if you sign them up and then they have a recurring need, they're going to keep having that need. Um so I posted all of the revenue charts um, on on the blog post, and you can kind of see that the last month where the app and GeoCody made the same amount of money was April of 2014, and then from there on, GeoCodio just takes off like a rocket, and our ad revenue goes down quite significantly.
0: That's amazing. I love that story. Like I love that GeoCody was born out of something you guys need it yourself, and you didn't even think it was going to be that successful, and now it sustains your entire family.
1: Yeah, and and the other app we had came out of our own needs as well, and I think there's some similarities to what you're doing as well there. Um, You know, we should always validate our ideas against what other people are trying to do, but especially for a first project, it can be so helpful to do something that just scratches your own itch, just makes you feel good. And yes. you, you you get that motivation going. And as much as you can, you know, snowballing the revenue from one project to another, snowballing the motivation that you're getting and the positive reinforcement you're getting from one project is so helpful for the other one, right? Because like a geocoder is not a very exciting project on the face of it. Like and and few people would sort of jump into that right away. We only arrived at that is because it's something that we needed ourselves. But that, in turn, ended up being such a great way for us to start a business because we were developer first from the very beginning, and we were out to solve the things that frustrated us about all of the other services out there. Like the whole thing about only being able to cache the results rather than store them in the database. Very early on, we decided You should be able to store them. Like, we don't want to stand over customers' shoulders telling them what they can and can't do. Like, we just don't believe in that. We're not going to do it. That has informed a lot of decisions that we make. Or, we're going to have a free tier and we're going to have a pay as you go model to make sure that it's affordable and accessible for people, regardless of how big their project is. Like, those are things that are really important to us. And, you know, something that we ask ourselves every time we're making a tough decision is okay, if we were the customers, What would we want to happen here and how would we want to be treated? And sometimes the answers to those things are not the immediate profit maximizing decision um, that a larger company might make, but one of the reasons why we do this is to solve our own problems and we don't want to create a product that creates problems for people. People already have enough problems. They don't need a product to create new problems for them like being only able to cash things, or all sorts of usage restrictions, or whatnot, we just don't believe in that. Yeah. Um. And so as a, and, and that really wasn't a perspective that I had on business until we encountered this product. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think I believed anything negative about treating customers. Um. But I didn't really have, I hadn't really felt that pain myself. Of wow, like this really really sucks when you want to use a product to get something done and then the product creates problems and hassles for you like why is this happening it's already hard enough to create something um and so that that idea that we are ourselves the customers really drives what we do and um and i always find it so fun when i um you know create new little side projects here and there that happen to run on Geocodio because we always end up coming across new ideas or like, oh, like, yeah, we should, you know, we could do this or, or we could do that. Like, I think you, you remember the, um, the app we made in the spring to help people find grocery store pickup slots. So that had geocodio um, in the background. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, locating, you you know, the nearest Wegmans or, or Harris Teeter to help you find a pickup slot. So yeah, it's 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 been fun, um, but it certainly required a lot, a lot of initial initial investment from us. Like you know, I think back to that like four hundred and sixteen dollars on twenty cents in in revenue. That's a lot of money. I I I remember at the time like that was basically our car payment, so that was a non insignificant amount of money. We had a child, so we didn't have a lot of time, but also we were fortunate enough that. We had full-time professional jobs, and we didn't have to have second jobs as just a part of our normal um, life. You know, this is a choice that we made, and we had the luxury of being able to spend our free time on this. And as children, we had you know the opportunities to to learn about business or um, play around with coding. We didn't have to be working, um, you know, have to be working as children and so we had that time to explore and so that's something i always think about that um yeah we we had several years of not a lot of sleep and not a lot of free time but there are so many um advantages that we had going into that and i think that's also something that inspires me to you know not only to feel like i'm making the most of those advantages um But also to try to inspire other people to do this as well, recognizing that, you know, maybe other people didn't have uh, parents' businesses to observe as children like both of us did. And, you know, things like incorporating a business or doing sales are um, much more intimidating for other people. And so to try to demystify those things and make it easier.
0: Well, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your origin story of how you and your husband start, started Geocodio. I've really enjoyed hearing it, and I'm sure our listeners did as
1: well. Yeah, if anyone else has follow-up questions, um, you know, always feel free to tweet at me. I'm certainly happy to um, talk to you about it and see if I can help with what you're trying to do. So that's going to
0: wrap up this week's episode of the Software Social Podcast. Feel free to tweet us your questions and comments at SoftwareSochPod. Thanks for listening. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality. Dave from ReCut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from Userlist, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Century, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of Subscribe Sense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder. Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from Consent Kit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of NUSI Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Work Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Conbini. Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from Recruit Kit.